Welcome to the Vault Podcast, classic music reviews, presented by IV Creative. Now, here's your hosts, B. Cox and the crew. Greetings and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Vault Podcast, classic music reviews, presented by IV Creative. It's a perspective on the classics from a fresh point of view. We appreciate you for taking your time and lending your ears to our perspective. You'll be anywhere listening to anything, but you're right here with us, so we thank you. With you today is yours truly, B. Cox, and it's a special edition, a bonus episode of the Vault Classic Music Reviews today. It's the Guest Lounge, and I am very pleased today of who I'm welcoming in to the Guest Lounge. Coming in today is a brother that I followed on social media. We connected with each other. He is a fellow content creator and a lover of hip-hop music and hip-hop culture. Today in the guest lounge, we have the pleasure of welcoming the professor, Nathan T. Riedel. He is the owner of Urban Science Media, LLC, and also the creator, writer of the hottest hip-hop scripted podcast. Matter of fact, the number one hip-hop scripted podcast out there called Players from the South, Players with a Z. And it's been great. He's doing a lot of things out there. He's had a couple of different podcasts. He's done a documentary called We Are One. And we're going to sit down and talk to him a little bit about his ventures, talk to him about his podcast, and also a little bit about hip-hop culture down in the South where he's from and get into a really great conversation. So sit down, relax, kick back, and listen to my conversation with Nathan Riedel, the professor of Urban Science Media and Players from the South. Here it is. And joining us here in the guest lounge in the vault is a very special guest, a gentleman that I've been following here since I've been in the podcasting game. And uh, we connected a little bit through social media, which you do sometimes when you're in these circles and especially when you have content creation in the circle of hip hop. And we definitely followed each other. I've been very impressed by what this brother has done. I like to refer to him as an OG, but I'll give him an even more proper title, and that's Professor. So it's an app title because that's how he, what he goes by on social media. But he is indeed a professor to Professor Nathan T. Riedel. He is the owner of Urban Science Media and the creator of one of the hottest podcasts out there, scripted podcasts, really great content called Players from the South. Professor Nathan, thank you for joining us here on the Guest Lounge, man. Thank you for having me, bro. Thank you, uh, you know. I don't take this time lightly. Um, actually, I take it as an honor because, like you said, we've been following each other and uh, communicating, I guess, a little, little bit over a year. Mm-hmm. And I've been following what you do, too, man. And I really appreciate anybody who's like myself, a curator of hip hop culture. Indeed. You know, uh, we, we're special people, man. And I think we deserve props for for keeping legacies alive. Absolutely, man. And the culture calls for it. You know, we have to be the one to write the stories of our culture. I think I remember seeing something, whether it was, I think it was from you or it may have been somebody else, something like you waited so long to be able to have a job in media or hip hop media. And then you realize that you were hip hop media because you lived it, you've breathed it and you're the ones to tell the story. So, you know, yeah. that's an important part about it. So, man, I thank you again for, for joining us. And, you know, you've had a lot of good stuff coming out, man. We connected, as you said, on, on social media. Uh, Nathan reached out to me. Uh, I was looking for some contributors to sort of work on some of the content I got coming on. We haven't hooked up yet this year, but next year we got some dope things going on. As y'all notice, man, we're doing 91, 96 and 2001 next year. And I got a lot of good things we're going to come up with, but we connected. Um, He told me he was working on this podcast players in the South. And we'll get into that, man. Cause again, it's, it's an incredible piece of work. And I, I encourage everybody to go out there 
and uh, look into it. So the one thing I want to get into, man, is just uh, tell uh, for those of the people who are listening and maybe listening to your voice for the very first time. Right. Tell us a little bit about your background, man, and like what made you want to get into content creation and podcasting and what drove your focus as far as hip hop towards that focus of that creation? Well, man, that's a good question. And it's, 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 and that's the good thing about hip hop history. I think we all from, from different backgrounds, different regions, mm-hmm. we all have our own story to tell. Yeah. And, and you know, with me, I call myself a down South B-boy because, you know, I was born in 73 July 15th, 1973, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I grew up with hip hop and, you know, although I lived in the South in Louisiana where I grew up, you know, my, my experiences were no different than those that were, that came up in New York city, you know, as far as listening and following the culture from an early, from an early age. So, you know, mm. um, I have those early experiences, um, with hip hop. I'm talking nine, 10 years old, man, mm. going to the skating rink, listening to planet rock and stuff, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, it, it got to a point, I guess, throughout my life, I call myself Down South B-Boy. Like I said, I started, I, it was a guy from New York that moved to Lafayette, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. He was from Queens, and he was a little Puerto Rican kid, taught me how to tag my name up. Mm-hmm. You know, I started breakdancing back then and everything. And I finally tried my hand at, um, I went ahead, I think I was 17 years old, 1990, I started, I started rapping. Mm. And I heard... Um, you might have heard me on one of my shows. I said it was Ice Cube's verse on, on the DOC's album on the grand finale. Yes. When, you know, when Ice Cube said, picture a nigga that's raw, amplify his ass and what you see is what's saw. Yeah. And that blew my mind, man. And I, I, <laughs> I wanted to, because of that, I, that got me into writing my first song. I started rapping at that particular time. Mm-hmm. And I still lived in New Orleans at the time. I was uh, uh, just finished my senior year in high school, man. And then I had just moved to Atlanta. And things changed, you know, the whole landscape of everything changed for me. I had to move, meet new people yeah. and everything. So connected with people through, you know, through hip hop and everything. And it was just just a part of my life. And uh, throughout my life's journey, I guess, as a rapper, I always could write. And what hip hop did for me was gave me the, I guess, the hustle to know how to want to try new things. So at a particular time in my life, I tried journalism because I always had a love for words because I was, you know, I was a rapper and I knew how to write. So, man, I always connected with the right people at the right time. So I, I became a sports writer. I was writing for the newspaper here in Atlanta mm-hmm. for the AJC. I did some, you know, magazines, um, man, Gospel Today magazine. I did a big article. Uh, so, I, you know, I tried my hand at that. So, I, you know, I started a radio show mm. with no experience, man. I taught myself all this. And it, I guess it just all led to where I am today. So because of this, I knew how to write, construct a story, and Players from the South came about because I was writing a movie script first. Yeah. Um, and mm. my wife was the one who listened to podcasts and uh, drama and uh, true crime. And she said, well, why don't you try to turn it into a podcast? Mm. And uh, Players from the South was was born, you know, right there. And I took all of my life's, even though it's it's a fiction, it's an audio drama and a fiction podcast. Mm-hmm. The first hip hop, you know, I like to uh, state claim to that. The first hip hop fiction podcast series, you know, it, it's fiction, but about maybe 30% of the work into the script is like part of my real life stuff. Mm. I've experienced through my hip hop journey and stuff I've read about, um, or heard about other artists, producers or something from the region I'm from, which is the third coast, you know? Yeah. Third coast, man. Yeah, definitely down there, man. That Gulf coast has a very rich hip hop tradition. And, you know, I wanted to ask you that because, you know, 
myself, we're almost like a cut from the same shoe, man. I I went to school. I studied Morgan State University in Baltimore, Maryland, historically black college. Okay. You know, I studied journalism. My idea was to be actually in sports journalism. And um, mm. I got out of school, man, and I had to really start and work and support myself from the beginning. And I went out to go with a lot of interviews, a lot of little small newspapers to really just get my foot in the door. But they wanted me to work for free. Right. <laughs> and I had to start paying stu- I had to start paying student loans six months after I graduated, bro. So I kind of yeah. got away from the journalism thing. I did some freelance things, but like yourself, man, I started my hip hop journey by emceeing and eventually right. also then producing as well. Okay. I, it, it, so that's what really struck me when listening to players from the South. I'm hearing you like, you know, mention and things about, you know, the process of making the music, these characters, mm-hmm. you know, right. and I'm hearing the, the these, uh, you know, vintage equipment that, I only, you know, didn't really operate on myself, but I know about because I've studied the history, ASR 10, SP 1200, Technies, you know, turntables. And I'm like, okay, this sounds like somebody who's been involved in the process of not just listening to the music, but also possibly creating it as well. So that's really what struck me when listening to it, man. Yeah, I had I had to be as detail oriented as possible, man, because it was a special time coming in up coming up in a time when we came up uh, because everybody you saw wasn't a producer or wasn't a rapper. It was just mm. cool to be a sit down and be a fan. Yeah. And you know, for those that who did try their hand at rapping at that time, as I said, everybody wasn't trying it because, so when you did meet somebody, you stayed in touch. So whenever somebody had something you need, they hook you up with this, they hook you up with that. They referred you to a DJ. They referred you to, so, you know, everybody kind of, kind of looked out for each other like that. So man, I was throughout my experiences. I was in a lot of people's homes, studios, you know, DJ setups, and I just seen, you know, I tried my hand at producing one time. It never worked out. <laughs> but, yeah. um, I, you know, I tried my hand at DJ and I just didn't think I was coordinated enough. But I've been <laughs> in those situations, in those settings with dudes with records mm. all over the place, you know, in ciphers, passing the mics back and forth. And I think that was just, a, you know, it was a special time, man. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, you, you, as you mentioned, you said you grew up with hip hop. You literally were born exactly. a month Weeks away from when hip hop yeah. first had its its first, you know, at fifteen twenty Seg with Chedrick Avenue with DJ right. Cool Herc in the park, uh-huh. man. So you grew yep. up with this culture. Yep. You come from the old school. You come yep. from an era which a lot of folks, uh, your contemporaries, will say was the golden era of hip hop, the true right. golden era of hip hop into the eighties when hip hop weaved itself into the co- the consciousness of America, and then eventually made its way from from one coast past the country over to another coast and down throughout the country and eventually through the world. Um, I mentioned, I hear this a lot, especially in the podcast and um, not to give away too many things, but we talk a lot and it's been a lot of things said about the bias from folks who were on either coast, but particularly from the East coast in those early days about anything coming out from really anything other than New York, but mostly with things that were coming from the South from guys who were from Miami or Atlanta or New Orleans or Houston it was almost like they looked at it, like you said, like they were you were outsiders, but, you know, like you didn't belong in the culture. But, exactly. you know, the stories that are being told, your, your documentary, We Are One, does a great job of documenting that as far as the journey of people there in that region when it comes to street music, to hip hop, to the beginnings of that type of music down there in the culture. What happened in Houston with, you know, the Rap-A-Lot Cats and then anything from folks with DJ Screw. Man, what was it really like for those of us who weren't in a part or in that region of the country during that early days of hip hop? Because some people will sort of think that y'all didn't discover hip hop until the late 80s, early 90s. But right. y'all were there ever since the beginning, man. What what was that like? Uh, man, let me tell you like this. At the time, 
like I said, when I first moved to Atlanta, um, this is pre-Outcast and everything. Uh, mm -hmm. Matter of fact, one of the first, when I was a rapper, one of the first demo tapes I've ever I've sent off was to LaFace Records. And I got a handwritten letter from the VP of LaFace. You know, it was courteous telling me pretty much, you know, letting me down. Um, mm. <laughs> and here we, and they weren't ready because they had, the only artist they had at a particular time was Jermaine Jackson, mm. uh, the only wow. artist on the face. So uh, here we are three years later and outcast with our players ball. And then, you know, LaFace is in the rap business a few years later. Yeah. So Atlanta didn't have on an independent grind mm -hmm. what the third coast did. Mm. Uh, a lot of that was culture driven. A lot of it was street driven. I mean, most of it was street driven. A lot of dudes hustling decided they wanted to get into the rap business and they had the money to put, put their homeboy on, you know, to do their first record, mm -hmm. um, things like that. So I think all that ties into that independent grind, which is, you know, later came to be guys like uh, baby and slim at cash money. Of course, master P you had Tony Draper at Suave house all came behind, you know, Luke Skywalker and Lil J at rap you know? Yeah. So it, it was that natural organic grind before you really had to could get in the music business. You had to get your, your hustle game had to be on. Mm. Um, and, and they learned it, you know, they learned it along the way. And I think a lot of people don't appreciate that, but now at the age I can look back at it now and see how many dudes became entrepreneurs just out of the street game and, and learn. And I think, it's funny because I just watched the uh, the, uh, the Netflix thing, Evolution of Hip Hop, yesterday. Yeah. And I think it was uh, Willie D said, you know, we thought they didn't like us just because we was from the South. And mm. he said, that wasn't it. They just didn't like us because we said anything we wanted. You know, yeah. anything came out of our mouth is vulgar. It was, you know, and I think that also <laughs> came that also came because you didn't have the A&Rs of the major labels in New York and, and L.A. Not at all. You know, all over your back. So you could say what you want to say in the South and you could put it out and the streets would love it first before you know, before you broke out of your region. Yeah. And, you know, in the, in a way, down to that third coast, man, particularly, man, New Orleans and Houston and down in Texas, all up and down, you guys were almost ahead of the game. Because, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, man, a lot of the cats who were coming out of New York or whatever, wherever they were coming from in the Northeast, wherever the powerhouses were on either coast, you had labels who were handling these guys. You right. looked at man, what P was doing with, with No Limit, what, you know, Baby and, and Slim were doing with Cash Money, what Jay Prince and, like, what they were doing with with uh, with Rap-A-Lot and then mm -hmm. also what Screw was doing with making his own tapes and yeah. basically starting enterprises independently, selling out of the trunk of your car, right. getting the mom and pop shops to run your stuff or eventually opening your own store. It was like Catch Down there really were in, interested in controlling their own destiny. And... Right. That's, I think, to me, is really what make it uh, made it a little bit more raw, you know? And that's what yeah. I think gave the appeal to folks down there in the, in the third coast is because, as excuse me for saying this, it's like y'all really didn't give a fuck, man. Y'all were about y'all money, about hustling, about making a yeah. name and making a, uh, making a statement for yourself. Do yeah. you think that's part of the appeal? Why people look at, you know, because at first I didn't get it until I got involved a little bit more in the game and I was like, right. Yo, these cats really down here handling their beds, man. Yeah, like, do you think that's, that's part of the appeal of why for, why people are drawn to these third coast artists, man? Like, because of that. Oh, most definitely, and that's it. I think that's why this shit is so dope to me because when I can look back at it and I see guys like, especially, uh, especially in Houston, and I mentioned like a couple of the distributors, like on players from the south. I mentioned the distributors. Mm -hmm. The name of that uh, Gonzalez, that was a real distributor. You know, um, they had. They had the guys like that, the regional distributors, man, and the guys just learned the business mm -hmm. from doing their street numbers, man, and uh, going back and forth to the distributors and picking up their checks. Yeah. And you look at the numbers, 
the numbers alone, just like in Texas, man, yeah. you could be independent without a middleman and getting your paper, you know, just selling your number in Texas and expressing your culture your way. So I think what's to be admired is that there was a whole matrix created outside of the mainstream matrix of hip hop that didn't rely on the mainstream. It relied on the culture of each region. Like New Orleans had their own thriving in the early 90s. And I'm talking about most people don't even know yeah, cash money was out in like ninety one. You mm. know, baby's name baby's name was B three two, you know. I need a bag <laughs> of dope. You know, yeah. people don't even realize they you know, they yeah. don't even realize they had other labels, Mobo Joe putting out that 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 raw gangster shit in the early nineties. And these dudes was all just learning it at the time, man. And then you had other other labels that came um, you know, over to Houston too. And I think and you see the good thing with me, I'm from originally from Lake Charles, Louisiana. I lived in Lafayette. I lived in New Orleans, and then I moved to Atlanta. Mm. But I got family all over the Gulf Coast, all between over. New Orleans and Houston. Man, I got family all in between, and you know, so I, I can enjoy both sides. I can enjoy the whole third coast. I can, yeah. I know all the culture. You know, I know it. The thing about me is, I in the '90s, I think I was all into East Coast. Mm. I was really all into East Coast, as I said, because when I lived in Atlanta, we didn't have that regional stuff coming up from the third coast up here. So the records we heard living in Atlanta at the time were bass music, like the local, mm. that's, you know, the Atlanta version with bass, bass, uh, bass, bass music, music that, yeah. that derived from Miami. Yeah. Um, and I went home to Louisiana in 96. I had been gone for five years. I didn't go home. So I went home in 96, man. And I'm going to tell you, I went home to Lake Charles. And the shit was different because mm. I w- we were grown now. I was like about 23. Yeah. So, you know, niggas <laughs> is getting shot. People, you know, I was hearing shit. And, yeah. and it's like they had their own music, their own soundtrack to what was going on down there. Yeah. And while I was down there, my cousin put me on the Face Mob and the Ghetto Boys. Resurrection had just dropped. And it yeah. was like P. Bowdy came out that summer. Mystical came. Here I go. All that shit was dropping in 96. And then Ball and G. Uh, you know, they were already out. They were already out, but man, it was like all that shit just hit at the right time. And then in the radios, especially in Atlanta, I like to give credit. I think Greg Street, like, was breaking all that third coast music and all that down south shit. Yeah. In Atlanta, he was breaking it at the time. And I think that's when it just, like, really just exploded. Yeah, man. There was a certain point in time in the 90s when I think everything sort of came together from the mid south to the third coast to the southeast. Everything mm-hmm. sort of came together. And that's like right around. 94 to 96 right in between that time period heading into that and then after that pretty much once 97 hit man everything really started to break open people yeah. started to find out about three six mafia they started to find out right. about they started to find out about ball and g i knew about right. ball and g because i started i was reading the source man and i was mm-hmm. reading about ball and g then and also seeing their advertisements for their tapes and that's right. when I started to go pick they, they pick they tapes up when nobody in DC was really checking for eight ball and MJG okay. like that. Okay. Man. Yeah. So it really it really started to get people to notice what was going on down there. And yeah, there was uh-huh. hate. There's been hate everywhere. But you know, we we notice and I, I can appeal to that being where I'm from. And that sort of takes me into my to my next question. And to preface it with this, I made my first trip down to New Orleans for the first time last year in November. Um, okay. I went for my homeboy's birthday. He was turning 40 years old. I'd never been to New Orleans before. Um, wow. We actually stayed not too far away. We stayed in the French Quarter. We stayed not too far away from Bourbon Street. And right. let me tell you something. That's the last time that I will ever stay that close to Bourbon Street. Because <laughs> I went with my lady, man. And, bro, it was yeah. nothing but noise all night long. And it's like it just yes, kept sir. going. And um, yeah. I wanted to take that into the documentary you did, We Are One. 
And um, it struck me because of a lot of the things that were in here sort of appealed to me because I'm from D.C. This is the home of go-go music, Um, Mm -hmm. home of Chuck Brown. You know, we're used to having street musicians and things out there. The things that I saw in New Orleans when I went there for the first time, boys out there playing on the buckets, trying to get some tips. People out there with brass instruments and second lines and all these things happening appealed to me because it really struck to me at my core what go-go, a lot of what go-go music was like at home. So tell me what's your inspiration around making uh, that documentary to be able to cover everything and how big of a task was that? Getting every, all those all that together, man, because doing a documentary of something of that wide of a topic in a city like New Orleans couldn't have been easy. Right. Right. And, you know, that that time of my life, man, that was a special time in my life. I lived in New Orleans my high school years between the age of uh, like 13, the summer of between eighth and ninth grade. And till I was, was, you know, senior in high school, I was almost 18. Mm-hmm. And at the time, you know, all we had was, you know, we had national we had had national artists. Of course, we listened to NWA, Broke Big, and everything, and everything like that, and uh, Public Enemy, of course, the Stets of Sonic, and, and and all that. It's like that's is that city is so fucking dope, man. Is and mm. when I first moved there, I lived two hours. Lafayette is like two hours away. When I first moved, before I moved to New Orleans, my pops was there first. Um, his job was transferring him, so he was there three months before us. So we would go and visit him. And while we were there, I would just leave the hotel and just walk around uh, Poitras and Canal Street by myself, as I've always been that way. And you could just smell the food and the city just moved to a different rhythm. You could hear music coming out of everywhere. You know, it's just rhythmic, man. And that shit just, it just always resonated with me. Yeah. So that's why I think everything in my creative life that I've ever done, I give credit. That's why I call New Orleans home, even though I wasn't, I'm not a native there. I lived there a part of my life. It just resonated with me. And and it's, it's just that rhythm of it and when you know it came to be it came to you know prove itself a little later with, with, with cash money with manny fresh and them that was one of the when i was in high school manny fresh did a song with gregory d uh buck jump time and that's it man even they were local to us at the time but it made me see that you know it can be done you know it could be done with the new orleans sound because i mean manny fresh is such a wizard on them drums and, and the rhythms bro a lot of people don't get it but you had to walk those streets to actually get it you yeah. know Okay. You know what I'm saying? And, right. and the, the, the New Orleans. The... Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. A lot of the hooks, the ch- come from the chants, the Mardi Gras Indians. There's so much in the culture that they were able to put into hip hop form, you know, and and show the rest of the world. So it, it's it's more than just uh, uh, you know soldier rags, white tees, and jabos. It was a lot more than that involved. If people really understand, it's a special place. Yeah, it is, man. I, I noticed that when I went there, yeah. and um, the one thing that kind of struck with me about being in New Orleans is the feeling that you sort of get that. You know, you're in a unique place that you're never going to go anywhere else in the United States and meet a place like New Orleans. And Mm -hmm. it's everything from the culture to the music to the people. Right. I mean, (laughs) mean, pardon me for a second. And that's the thing, man. Like I said, 
uh, when I moved there, and, and just like when I moved to Atlanta, I did the same thing. I caught the city bus and rode around and happened to get off one day, and I was walking down the street, didn't even know where I was, and I ended up coming through the pro- one of the roughest projects in the city, mm-hmm. you know, and people, like, looked out for me, showed, you know, showed me love, and it's just like they've always accepted me. So, you know, that was always that was always home to me, and that's why when it came time to doing this documentary, uh, We Are One Street Music of New Orleans, I just had to reach, you know, that's, that's a good thing, like you said earlier, social media is a thing, because I had no experience making movies, nothing. I just said, you know what, I want to do that. I want to go document, you know, my early, this part of my life and what led to what it, what you know, what led to New Orleans music becoming what it what it has in hip-hop and bounce. Yeah. So through social media, I met people who put me in touch with people, and down there, man, people just so cool. Yeah, let's do it. And that's the thing. When I when I went down there to film it in 2012, man, I had people actually waiting on me to be in it. Hmm. And in contrast to Atlanta, I, you know, it ain't that. Yeah. You got to go through hell and high water to get, you know, <laughs> people trying to big time you. Yeah, I was about to say something. I, you, nah, I ain't gonna get into that. <laughs> okay, no um, worries. It's okay. So but you know, you know, you know how I could be as a show host. You try yeah, to, you know, line up stuff with people. And I've had professional people here in Atlanta. You know, this is what I'm trying to do. I went and rent studio time and. They don't call, you know, yeah. and they knew it. They confirmed they would be there, and, you know, it was that kind of thing. But as, like I said, in New Orleans, man, the people just showed me love. They People yeah. waiting on me to come down there. And and I think in the next year after next, we're going to go do a 10-year anniversary mm. of the uh, the documentary. Man, that that would be cool, bro. And if yeah. and I would love to be down there for something like that because I already told my lady, I'm look, we're going back down there. My She went yeah. to school down there, man. She actually, my fiancé went to Xavier. You know, and so we actually went a ride. We rode around, went to Xavier. Um, You know, we passed by Dillard. You know, we were in the we were in the quarter most of the time. We went out, you know, a little bit out, man, out out into the city. We went out to the, you know, the Garden District and everything else and went around Mm -hmm. just really was a special place, man. The people, though, the thing that really struck me the most was about the people being down there, man. Yeah. Like uh, New Orleans people, you know, they some will have you cracking the hell up, laughing and about the things that they say. Um, yeah. Now I ran into this old white dude, man. This old man, he was I, he he was country, and he had jokes for days about us. It was he was our Uber driver, and he was, right. and he cracked us up the entire way he got there. He said, "Look, man, uh, I'm trying to be a stand up comedian. <laughs> Look, here's my Instagram page. Go check me out and everything. Like, I appreciate it. Y'all be safe now. Yeah. So I love to be able to check that out, man. Um, it's just really it's a special place. But right. I wanted to get a little bit more into about players from the south. And again, to y'all listening. Make sure y'all go check it out. I know y'all thinking like, yo, scripted podcast. Like, listen, right. yes, the scripted podcast out there and what my man Nathan has out there is dope, man. And you have a lot of folks involved in it. I mean, like, you know, I've seen that you had cast of characters. You have, you know, yourself. You play the main character, uh, Kevon Terry. Um, yeah. You have uh, the, you know, the your journalist, your journalist Saul Gravy, who's interviewing Kevon, which serves yeah. as the basis for this story. And you've actually had your family involved with some of this, too, man. They've played some bit parts in this as well. Oh man, that's good you noticed that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like man, this is my first for I guess foray into. Uh, I started podcasting maybe 2017 uh, after listening to uh, Combat Jack, man. So I wanted to get into um, rest in peace, Combat. Podcasting. Hey, rest yes, in sir. peace, yes, Combat. That's, that's, yeah, yeah, that's the best, man. Yes, yeah. and you know I tried my my first show was the Genius Generation. I did that, and mm-hmm. I, I could just couldn't get it to what I wanted. I said. You know, I couldn't, like I said earlier, get uh, the guests I was trying to line up and stuff. So I figured a way I can do something without having to rely on getting guests for a show. Uh, you know, uh, let me do this, this, this scripted podcast. So I just do what I do best, which is write and put that thing, in, you know, like I said earlier, into scripted form. 
you know, whenever no experience, man, I just so I'm just learning on the fly, and so I don't know how to go get a cast of characters. Yeah. So whenever I just need a voice, yeah, I, I holler at a family member. You know, yeah. I got my nephew who's a teenager. He played young, young Cortez. Okay. Um, my sister-in-law, man, she was uh, Dana. She was actually the love interest of Kevon Theory. Okay. Um, I got co-workers in there that plays my younger brother Cortez, which is in the late in the last episode with the, the flashback phone call. Yeah. yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, man. And then Saul Gravy, that's another one of my co-workers, man. He used to host Genius Generation with me. People cool. just interested in and just looking out for me, doing what you know, happy to see me doing what I do. So they just lend me their voice, um, and we just you know we just get it popping. And I do direct i'm learning how to direct and everything no say it like this say it like you know yeah you know okay so, yeah and I, I think i like the results man man that's that's awesome man it's an awesome piece of work i love the creative aspect of it because again coming up in the culture living that independent life where you know i was out there i'd recorded put out some projects did shows was did that whole like road trip like yo we, I wasn't riding to Atlanta, but I was in my area. I was riding down to Richmond for some shows or Norfolk, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Going up to Philly, New York. So I know that whole independent grind, man, it captures it perfectly because you're right. talking about the same type of thing so many people went through that went through it. Either at that right, time right. or through it right now, go through it, man. So I think that's what the, the appeal about it is. I'm waiting for the next episode. I need to get yeah. episode number six. And is this year, are you going to have seasons of this? Is it going to be, are you going to limit it to like uh, seasons or are you just going to be, is it going to continue on and on through the different episodes that you have? Well, actually, since you asked seasons, I'm, I'm sorry, episode six will be the, um, the season finale of season one. Got it. Okay. Um, and what I plan on do with players from the South, um, you know, that name actually, the name players from the South came from, um, I think it was uh, one of the no limit releases had the classic song. It was still at, at 1995. That still Southern, that third coast sound was still in its infancy, man. You know, mm-hmm. we had that heavy, the heavy 808, 808 but you know, yeah. Pimp C, Pimp C brought those, that gospel organ, that, mm. you know, to, uh, to hip hop. So, that players from the South stack G's, you know, that's why I had to get that name. And, you know, that's the way I, you know, the way I show love to that, to that era. So I, I had to call it players from the South. Now with season two, I want to change. I want to keep the same storyline, but I want to incorporate, uh, just to give you a little bit, Kevon's son, who I started to introduce at the end of season one, his son will be a big part of season two. Cool. And I like to take, as, as I said, real live topics and include in here because you can you know I talk about everything in here, man. And I um so season two I want to take the real life situation that um, former No Limit artist Mac is going through dealing with the Louisiana uh, yeah. justice system. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna incorporate that into season two with Kevon's son going through something, you know. And, and the villains, the people who play the villains, you know, want to railroad his son and put him in a, a bad situation. Mm. Art imitating life, man. You know, right. it's it's a it's a wonderful thing. So uh, I, I got a couple other things, man. Before we wrap yeah. up, I do see that you have a new project coming out, man. Is International Food Dope? I've saw the post come up on your Instagram. Yeah. Give the people a little bit of preview of what they can expect from this new uh, new project coming out. Yeah, yeah, man. I didn't want to be, you know, like I said, I don't want to be, didn't want to do the the traditional type of thing. Uh, so that's why I had to do players from the south. And I say, if I want to do a, a a food, I'm sorry, hip hop show, I want to do. Let me do something with food because I think over the last few years I started, you know, me and my wife, we're, we're empty nesters, so we mm. enjoy fine dining out, you know, right now. So this is something I just started getting into. I guess a guilty pleasure, man. I, I kind of always wanted to be a chef, but never wanted to go after it. So I'm, I'm, I'm international food dope is my new show 
where I'll be interviewing uh, hip-hop inspired and influenced executive chefs, restaurateurs, and food influencers. And we're going to have conversations talking about making the perfect plate mm. in parallel, you know, in comparison to making a perfect record, you know, the dope elements that makes a dope hip hop record. And, you know, to, to, I, I look at like chefs, they got to be cocky. They got to be like MCs. So, mm. you know, when you make that plate, you look at yourself and you say, damn, I'm the shit. Yeah. Same way MC <laughs> would do with a rhyme. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. So and we're going to talk about the classics, you know, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of like, you know, just like what you do here, man. We Indeed. just want and find the parallels in, in between those two worlds. Cool, man. So I'm a, for my for my last official question, I'm gonna put you on the spot a little bit here, you know. Right. And I got to bring your expertise. So you're riding from New Orleans over to Atlanta, okay? It's a nice little drive. I don't know how many hours it is, but it's some hours. And mm-hmm. uh you riding, and let's say me and you are riding, man. And you you I'm I'm telling you, like, hey man, give me Nathan Rideau's perfect Southern hip hop playlist that will bring me through your journey as far as everything from the th- third coast and anything on that of Southern hip hop. You got five CDs we can pick, man. Give me five that are going, that's going to give me your Southern hip hop journey. Oh, oh, cool, man. Yeah. Me and you, we riding from new Orleans to, to Atlanta, man. What, what five you got? Six and a half, six and a half hour drive. Six and a half hour drive. Give me five yes, CDs, sir. man. Five CDs. Definitely. I'm going to give you uh the diary by Scarface. Mm. AT aliens, outcast. Um, get a UGK riding dirty, of course. Mm. Um, juvenile soldier rag. Mm. Okay. Uh, yeah. Grip it on that other level. Uh, ghetto boys. Ghetto boys, man. Yeah. Now, know, I, I forgot to mention how big of an influence they were. In, you know, in my, my story, man, I got some stories to tell. Yeah. I got stories to tell. That's why I'm putting them all in, all my stories and players from the South. Yeah. But I also had to mention, man. A few years ago, you know, I went through a period of my life, man. I wasn't, I wasn't listening to hip hop at all. I'm talking like maybe 15 something years, and wow. I was busy, you know, raising my kids and everything. So I got to the point where my kids got of age, so I started getting back into it. So I started listening to revisiting. This has had to be maybe 2014, mm-hmm. revisiting old classics, and then from there is, it, I mean, I started listening to like Ghostface and Mob Deep and everything, and mm. it took me down the path of listening to stuff that I missed out on. Mm. And through all that, after I listened to all the East Coast stuff that I missed out on and hearing all this stuff, around 2017, man, I got to my down south stuff and I went to UGK and that shit opened me up to a whole new world. I mean, I always knew about Chad and uh, and Bun, yeah. but but man, I'm talking to see the evolution of what that group did and what they became. Yeah, but, And the, yeah. The, the name UGK is Underground Kings. That's like I tell people, that's the name for a reason. Yeah. Just because you don't know about them don't mean they're not one of the greatest of all time. Yeah, bro. And I'm yeah. talking to hear the sound evolve from where they were with Pocket Full of Stones and even, you know, Cocaine in the Back of the Ride yeah. to the, the last album they put out had passed with the International Players Anthem, the double yeah. album. Double that album, shit is, yeah. that's, a, that's an incredible album. Underground Kings, and, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Underground Kings. And there's a man of my age, you know, 47 right now, I can sit back and I just like listening to the music of hip-hop yeah. and how, how dope producers put shit together that I didn't might not have understand it because... Back in the days, you listen to shit. It's like, oh, that's dope. That's whack. Mm-hmm. But now I can listen to something and be like, damn, I can find pretty much something dope in everything, man. Yeah, indeed, man. That that yeah. last UGK album, man, it, it really and it struck home for me after Pimp died. But right, but I was I got a late pass getting on to UGK. I didn't really get right. on to them until I got to college, man, and that was like okay. around two thousand. But uh, it was incredible just to be able to hear them back together again. 
because Pimp was locked up. So Bunt was right. holding it down by himself out here by mm-hmm. himself, man, to hear them back together again yeah. and to hear just the quality of the things that they were able to put together. Like they had never lost a step, man. And then they right, took it right. to another level because, another level. because yeah. then the, the consciousness of people's consciousness, it raised to another level when you put them with outcast and you mm-hmm. get a smash like international players anthem. But then there mm-hmm. were so many deep album cuts on there. Right. That was so great, man. It's, I always have an appreciation for, for UGK, yeah. Um, for Bum B and and for them lyrically being better than people want to give them credit for being, man. Right. Um, and people, you know, a lot of people gave a lot of flack for Southern rappers, man. Some Southern rappers there that are some great MCs. And both Chad and Bum B, in both of their ways, man, were extraordinary MCs and, be, and, right. and the unique styles they had, different right. from each other, but it complemented each other well. So. Exactly. I, I'm glad that you mentioned that though, seriously. And um And and it's a damn shame that Jive Records didn't know what to do with them, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's a damn and, and and I read the book, I read the the book Julia Beverly did on Pimp C and it's it's like at one time they were told they weren't video friendly. Mm-hmm. So that's why they never wasted time, you know, giving them video videos. You know? Yeah. But I'm like, man, so it's like if everybody's doing the verses and everything now, I'm like, I could put twenty UGK songs against twenty any, you know, yeah. anybody against and anyone. Yeah. And I tell anybody just because you don't know, don't mean you ain't gonna come out of this. You ain't gonna be, you know, you ain't gonna be jamming with it. Yeah, exactly. Know? Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's it, it's you're right, man. You can put twenty UGK hits up, man, and you'll be hard pressed to find a group out there that can match them. Firepower for firepower for right. You know, style, substance, um, legacy, and really just any anything that you want to put there, man. Measurement you wanted to put a hip hop track up against. You'll be hard pressed right. to find somebody that can that can match the Kings on that, man. But right, right. absolutely. Very cool, man. Now, before we get out of here, I always ask my guests to plug uh, all their social media channels and where people can find you, websites, man. So go ahead, run down the list, social media, websites, how people can find you, how they can get in touch with you, and uh, definitely plug the podcast, bro. Okay. Uh, thank you, bro. And before I do that, let me say, man, I listened to your last show about uh, about Brand Nubian. Yeah. And uh, dope, dope as well, man. It brought back a lot of memories to when I first moved here, like I said, to Atlanta, my senior year in high school, when they had just dropped uh, Sunshine. Mm-hmm. And, um, okay. And the Grand Pooba, his debut album was 92. Yeah. It was because it was highly anticipated. And I remember he had the song with uh, Mary J. Blige on that remix that introduced her, mm, introduced you know, getting ready to coming to her, her, uh, her debut album. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Um, yeah. It, it was a dope, dope show indeed, man. I appreciate it. it, it to me, it introduced uh, the 5% uh, ideology into, into, you know, into my consciousness. Yeah, definitely. Right For a lot of people too, man. Cause there weren't yeah. many groups that were out there that all of right. them were, were, were members of the 5% nation. And you could see yeah. it all throughout their music, those influences. And a lot of yeah. people followed up afterwards, man. Cause there's a lot of acts that were 5%ers that came out and put that in their music as well. Yeah. yeah. And you know, recently I, I finished writing a book for daddy yo from Stetson Sonic. I wrote his memoir and he, mm, he, okay. he told me, he told me, man, that he's the like probably wise, intelligent, Pull from Poor Righteous Teachers Poor and, and, um, and Grand Poobah probably dropped more knowledge in their music than anybody in hip hop. Hmm. You know Any what? Other, yeah. 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 I could see that. I yeah, definitely yeah. can see that. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm not going to argue right, with that. Yeah. I'm not going <laughs> to argue with that, especially somebody of his stature. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, if you yeah. said it, I, you know what, bro? You got it. It must be true because I'm not yeah, going to argue I, I still, with you. Soaked <laughs> up a lot of game from that, man. That's a good dude. Indeed, man. Yeah. yeah this is Nathan T. Rito, a.k.a. The Professor the host and the writer of players from the South podcast, hip hop's first fictional podcast series. You can check me out on any of the major uh, platforms, any of the major platforms. Um, Also my new show, international food dope, 
you can be able to, that'll be starting in January. Uh, got some good content coming with that. That'll be on all the major platforms as well. Uh, you can reach out to me on IG at the professor 73 at players from the South with a Z that's at players from the South with a Z and at food dope podcast. All right. Well, there we are. There we have it. We appreciate it, man. Nathan again. Thanks for joining us, bruh. Definitely take care. Be safe out here in this world with this pandemic that we have. You and your family be safe, be well. And if you if you celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas yes, to sir. y'all and happy holidays, man, and much blessings for the new year. And we're gonna link up next year, man. We got some stuff to put down. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me, man. And there you have it. I want to give, of course, a special shout out and thank you to the professor Nathan Riddell for joining me here again on the guest lounge today. As you guys hear. Has a lot of great things going on and can't wait to check out that new podcast coming out, International Food Dope, for 2021 and also the rest of Players from the South. Definitely enjoyed the conversation. I look forward to linking up with him in 2021 for doing some real great things and, of course, always reviewing the classics. And that's going to wrap up yet another edition of The Vault. Please make sure you check us out on our new host on Red Circle. You can also download, stream, and subscribe to The Vault Classic Music Reviews on any one of our streaming sources. If you could check us out on any one of our social media pages on the link tree in our bio, you can get to all of our social media sites and also all of our streaming sources. You can get to the Vault Classic Music Reviews on at Vault CMR Podcast on Instagram, at Vault Classic on Twitter, and search the Vault Classic Music Review Podcast on YouTube and on Facebook. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, like the Facebook page, interact with us on social media. We love to interact with all you, listen to you, let us know what you think about the interview. Of course, we do it here all for you. We appreciate the support. And if you have a friend, tell a friend and make sure that you tell that friend to tell a friend. Always remember to keep your headphones on and your music loud, but not too loud. And as we close, we like to remind everyone to dream big because dreams are the basis for creation. Always create, motivate and elevate because you were never destined or created to stay stationary in this life. We want to take the opportunity to wish everybody a very Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays otherwise and be safe going into the new year. And on that note, we say peace. Thank you for listening and coming into The Vault. Please subscribe and follow us on Facebook at IV Creative and Instagram at IVECRE8. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. 